Celtics. Clock will start when it's touched. Havlicek touches it. It begins. Three seconds. Hondo off the gun. He's got it in a second. John Havlicek won it. for a playoff spot. What an effort last night by Jared Sullinger. 31 points, 16 rebounds in that victory over the Kings. It's certainly a lot more fun to talk Celtics basketball when they're winning. And later in the show, we'll be joined by Tom Ziller, the fine columnist at SB Nation. His column is in the hook, or rather the hook, and he's also the founding member of Sacktown Royalty. So we'll be talking about the Sacramento Kings with Tom Ziller coming up. Oh, in about 20 to 25 minutes or so. Now, let me bring in my co-host, Rich Conti. Like I said, Rich, a lot more fun to talk Celtics basketball when the team is winning. I know they haven't exactly beaten the best of the NBA the last three games in the Magic, the Sixers, and the Kings, but I think there's some really good things to look at with those victories. Yeah, it doesn't matter the opposition. I think uh, looking back a couple of weeks ago, Celtics fans probably wondered if it would be 2014, 2015 uh, before we saw a uh, a winless a uh, a lossless week like we did this uh, past week going 3-0. and um, And it was, you know, nice to see guys like Jared Sollinger, particularly last night, kind of step up. He had, a, he had a rough go of it for a while there, about a month back, but he seems to be really establishing himself on the boards and on the offensive end. Well, and to Jared's credit, he was hurt during that time, too. Yeah, he had the the banged up hand. At, uh, you know, he claimed it wasn't really affecting him, but it had to affect his shooting. And you know, I think he ran into some games there where also where he faced guys like Anthony Davis, who were just going to you know probably always be a problem for him throughout his career. But he was moving really well last night. Clearly uh, took the challenge of going up against another heavyweight in Demarcus Cousins to heart and really battled him uh, to a draw in the post. And I think that was something that that Celtic fans or maybe a little bit worried about going into the game, uh, how they were going to combat uh, the wide load of DeMarcus Cousins uh, underneath the basket. Celtics get the win last night without Rondo, without Avery Bradley, and it was the Jarrett Sullinger show. 31 points, 16 rebounds. What, he's got like four double-doubles in a row. He's just playing incredible basketball right now, Rich. And he's looking like not just a good player. He's playing like an all-star, let's be honest. Oh, absolutely, particularly on the boards. I mean, when was the last time, other than maybe the first six or eight weeks of Kevin Garnett's tenure in Boston, have we seen somebody rebound like that for the Celtics? I mean, you've really got to go back uh, to the to the heydays of the 80s when you, know, you had McHale and Paris there battling on the boards to see somebody who could just dominate the glass like Sullinger has been able to. And, you know, given that, uh, I think, uh, he claims he's about six eight and three quarters. Stevens <laughs> last night said he was about six seven. You know, particularly at a guy like that, man, it, it brings back shades of Paul Silas. 
So impressive. Wow, then that's that's good company you're naming there, Paul Silas. For you young Celtic fans out there listening, look him up. He was an all-star, made the cover of Sports Illustrated, was a very important part of championship teams in Boston. And Jared Sullinger does remind me a lot of him, only a better shooter, but he has a knack for grabbing the rebound. And he's not particularly mobile, although mobile more than you would think. It's pretty amazing to watch him out there because he doesn't look that athletic, but yet that wide body of his gets it done against bigger guys. Yeah, you know, the comp you hear most frequently for Sellinger is, of course, Kevin Love of the Minnesota Timberwolves. And, yeah, there there are certainly some differences in their games. But one thing they clearly have in common is, you know, the recognition that you you get rebounds before the shot is even missed. You know, it's, it's finding that spot, carving out, you know, a place for yourself underneath the basket, anticipating where the ball is going to come off the rim and getting yourself to that spot before the other guy has a chance to react. That's such a lost art in the NBA, and it's great seeing a guy like Sellinger kind of doing that for the Celtics now. The tanking crowd got awful quiet this last week. Not happy with this week. Not played. happy with this week at all. The Celtics took care of business against the weaker teams in the NBA, the Magic, the Sixers, and the Kings. But even more impressive, I think, was the way they did it. Last night, clearly the Celtics have had a problem closing games at home. We've gone over this time and time again in the fourth quarter. That wasn't the problem last night. They threw the knockout punch led by Jared Sullinger. Jared Bayless also had a very nice game. They took control, hung on against the Sixers, and then the Magic, they took care of business. They Winning the games that they need to win and now are 18-33 and 33 on the season and Rich just four and a half back for the eighth seed. I don't see why this team can't make a run at it. I think they can. You know, there's still a lot that needs to get sorted out in the Eastern Conference. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, we, you know, we had uh, the the Nets play-by-play announcer uh, Tim Capstraw on with us as a guest, and at that point, the, the the Nets really looked like they were rounding things back into shape. And yet now they've kind of suffered a couple of tough losses now, and and you know maybe they're not going to be that that uh, third or fourth team in the conference that we thought they were, or they're not going to run away with the Atlantic Division over the last two months, like like folks thought they would so you know it's absolutely wide open anything can happen you know no outcome would surprise me at this point you know the Celtics could just as easily end up in the lottery and you know kind of get their way into a top three pick and make the tankers happy but at the end of the day uh, you know it's hard to say trade deadline is still out there so you know a lot can happen but it's hard to say that the the Celtics are tanking they they're short on talent uh, but they're out there competing and that's really all we can ask who on the Celtics is untouchable come trade deadline? I don't think anybody's untouchable. Um, I think there there are clearly guys that Ainge sees as a viable part of the future of this team. Uh, but certainly any of those guys, if the right offer came along, you know, I, I, I think, you know, that allowed them to kind of even upgrade that, that talent. They, they would do that. But I think the hardest guys to, to move in terms of, you know, you really have to make sure you're getting uh, the appropriate return uh, back in the deal. Uh, clearly, Sullinger's in that list. I still firmly believe Rondo is, is, is part of that list. You know, beyond that, I, I, you know, think you've got guys like Green or Bradley that I think can certainly be a part of the future of the team. But again, who knows if another team sees them as the missing piece or, you know, if there's something you see that give you some, you know, pause as to whether, you know, they're part of that long-term plan. Listen, you know, a green's name has come up quite a bit. I personally think it would be a huge mistake to trade him until you get to see a healthy Rondo play alongside green in his current role for a good 20 to 25 games, really to see what that does for him going forward. And, you know, with Bradley, uh, you know, I think folks really love the, the defensive tenacity that he brings to the court. They really you know, see a rapidly developing offensive player. Um, at the same time, you know, his offensive numbers probably aren't where they need to be for a you know starting two guard on on a championship level team. Uh, you know, the the issue of his contract is out there. He becomes a restricted free agent this summer. The 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 word is he's looking for you know four year deal in the eight million dollar range. And so I think Ainge has to be thinking about whether it makes sense to kind of uh, spend that money on him and potentially you know make it more difficult for yourself in the uh, free agent class of 2015 or whether you know you can bring something back in a trade that's as valuable or more valuable uh, going forward than Bradley is. Getting back to Jeff Green, I, I just shake my head. Eight points against the Magic, 
He goes for 36 <laughs> against the Sixers. And then 17 last night. Does this week epitomize Jeff Green? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I don't think he had a bad game last night. He had 17 no. points. But, but you know, his um, the shooting wasn't very good. I don't think he was a very uh, efficient offensively. And, you know, to me, Green is just the ultimate flow player. If he's getting his looks in the flow of the offense – uh, and feeling comfortable and feeling like he doesn't have to press the issue, then he's capable of nights like he had the other night against the Sixers. Um, when you ask him to kind of right the ship offensively or to kind of initiate the offense, I think he, he you know gets um, a little bit too self-aware of what he's doing out there. And I, I think, you know, the hesitation, the doubt, the uh, that, that, that extra moment of, of thinking about what he's going to do instead of just reacting and doing it naturally kind of steps in and, man, just the way NBA defenses are right now, if they're keying on you and you have any hesitance whatsoever, they're going to make your life very difficult. And I think that's what happens with Green a lot, a lot of times when he starts trying to think the game a little bit too much. I think that really uh, impacts his ability to kind of get his points. There are times when he looks like the best player in the game. And I'm not overstating it when I say that. He makes it look so easy sometimes. Like in that Philadelphia game, I don't remember how many minutes he played, but it seemed like every time he was on the floor, he was making something happen. It looks so effortless. And yeah, I know I might have overstated it by saying he looks like the best player in the game sometimes, but I guess he makes it look so effortless when he's in a in a zone, making things happen. And that's why it's so head-scratching and mind-numbing when you watch him throw up an eight-point game against the Magic. It's just hard to understand. I can see him being a third option on a really, really good team that's competing for a championship. So it wouldn't surprise me, Rich, to see him dealt for the for the right deal. I yeah. hope it doesn't happen because I'd like to see him play an entire season with Rondo because I think the two complement each other so well. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, you know, he did have a big night uh, a week or two ago with Rondo out of the lineup, but you know, they looked really good together and I think Rondo does take a lot of that pressure of having to think about, you know, what's needed in the game at a given moment, um, you know, away from Green because, you know, that's Rondo's job as the point guard and he does it remarkably well and when when Green is out there and just, you know, kind of reacting and, and moving without the ball and getting the ball on the move and, and attacking, that's when he's he's the toughest. Um, you know, you use the, the term effortless, and it's it's really interesting because I think when he is playing well, it is effortless because you know he, he's not having to think too hard about what it is that 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 he needs to do in a given moment. He's he's not putting in the effort; he's just letting it come natural. And I think that's the the best you know uh, part of his game is when when he's in that position. And I think Rondo does take a lot of the the pressure off him in those situations. I think you know it was really great to see Rondo kind of pushing the pace the other night and starting to, you know, kind of feel like his legs were under him because I think he can just make life easier on Green. He can make life easier on Jared Sollinger and on Avery Bradley. You're listening to Celtics Beat with Ty Ray and Rich Conti. We're expecting to call any moment, actually not any moment, in about 10 minutes or so from Tom Ziller. He's the columnist at SB Nation. His column is The Hook. He's also the founding member of Sacktown Royalty, and we'll be talking Sacramento Kings basketball with Tom Ziller in about 10 minutes or so. Let's stay on Rondo. The Celtics weren't finding success when Rondo returned. I can't remember exactly how many games they lost in a row once Rondo got back, but they certainly looked like a Rondo-led team against the Magic and the Sixers. Oh, yeah. Was that the quintessential Rondo stat line the other night? You know, when he had, uh, I think it was eight points, 11 assists, and nine rebounds, you know. Uh, you know, he dominated the game in the first half without shooting the ball, you know, and that's Rondo at his best. And, you know, I think a game like that where he had nine assists in that first half really you dispels a lot of the the uh, criticism of his career earlier where, you know, his assist numbers were attributed to having Hall of Fame teammates around him to yeah. put the ball in the bucket. And certainly that doesn't hurt, but I think the beauty of Rondo's game is given, you know, the time to kind of understand and, and, and learn his teammates, he can put anyone in the most advantageous position to score the ball for that particular player. And I think he's starting to find that groove with the roster around him now and just the level of creativity in the passes and the vision um, folks who 
undervalue Rondo and and you know get too wrapped up in all of the you know the talk about how headstrong he is and whatnot. I think really significantly underappreciate the importance of that that court vision and that ability to kind of dominate the game without shooting the ball. And it's it's again it's another one of those those lost arts. And and I for one feel really fortunate that we've got a guy like that on our team. Court vision. What can be said about that? What did they call Larry Bird? Kodak? Was that, was that his nickname at one time, Kodak? Because he could just take a picture of the court and know where to throw the ball or pass the ball, rather. And Rondo's got that. And that's why, uh, that's why Rich, I really believe the Celtics can make a run at a playoff spot. Once, once Rondo finds his footing, I think they can make a run, especially in the East. I don't, I don't see why not. And I know I hear people out there whine all the time, why would the Celtics want the eighth seed only to get blown out by the, by the Heat or the Pacers? Well, because I would like guys like Jared Sullinger to have playoff experience going into next year when the team is going to be significantly better and hopefully will be a threat in the playoffs. I want guys, the young guys, to have that kind of experience heading into next year. Oh, absolutely. How fun would it be to watch Jared Sullinger go against the Miami Heat and, you know, kind of go in there and try to beat up Chris Bosh for <laughs> however, however many games that, you know, they that get to great. play. And, you know, worst case scenario, they get swept. How do you think a guy like Jared Sullinger is going to react to that? You think he's going to go into a shell that it's going to, sh- you know, shatter his confidence? No, he's going to go, okay, I know what I need to do going forward. And he's going to go out there and work at those things to, to make himself an even better player next year. You know, the, the, the tanking crowd just really doesn't grasp the importance of, you know, winning and, and being part of a, being part of that atmosphere of, of competing at the highest level to the development of these young players. Uh, you and I were talking before the show about, you know, teams like the Sacramento Kings that have a lot of talent. And, you know, my argument is that talent is actually, you know, a lot of folks think that acquiring talent is really the hard part in the NBA. And I don't think that's true. I think a lot of these guys, you know, there's a ton of talent in the in the league in, in terms of just the raw potential to be a great player. What makes the great players is the, that understanding of how you apply that talent, you know, to to maximize your your, your results on the court, and that that stuff doesn't come naturally uh, for most players. It comes through repetition, and and you know, being able to kind of get put in those situations where you're forced to to learn and adjust on the fly, and you know, that experience can't be simulated on a practice floor. Um, you know, very few players can kind of you know really perform at the highest level without kind of going through and and going through those experiences to really hone that, and and that's what's critical to building a winning team. And the tanking crowd is thrown at me. Well, look at the Milwaukee Bucks. They made the playoffs last year, and now look at them. Well, it's a completely different situation in Boston than it is in Milwaukee. Last year, that team was in turmoil. We knew the coach was on the way out in Milwaukee, right? We knew that there was going to be roster turnover in Milwaukee, and it is what it is there. With the Celtics, it's completely different. There's already a plan in place, so I think it's important that they make the playoffs. And now going forward, Maybe the NBA draft not all cracked up to what we thought it was going to be come this year. Yeah, certainly, you know, with the recent reports about Joel Embiid uh, contemplating staying another day, another year, Jabari Parker contemplating staying another year. Listen, you know, when when they see that they're, you know, they're being told they're they're a top five lottery pick and and that money's out there, you know, it's likely they'll change their mind. But even if those guys are in that draft, I mean, you know, is there anybody out there that you look at and go, wow, that's a that's a surefire difference maker? You know, a, a guy that can step onto a losing team. Um, and 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 kind of you know turn their culture around overnight uh, the way Larry Bird did back in seventy nine eighty with the Celtics. No, there's nobody like that. You know, there's you know a couple of guys have potential to be you know great players, even all stars in the league. Embiid, Parker, Wiggins certainly kind of fall into that category. But again, people grossly uh, overestimate the the importance of of just that that raw talent. It's not enough, and it's it's fun. You know, to look back at all the draft busts over the years and and make fun of them and make fun of the GMs, you know, that that made these colossal mistakes and 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 picking those guys. But let's not forget that in in that in those years or back in those days, those guys were the Joel Embiid's. Those guys were the Jabari Parkers, right? In retrospect, it's easy to look at and look at them and say, "Wow, what a colossal mistake picking that guy was." He turned out to be a bust. Well, why was he a bust? Was it because he didn't have the the potential or the, the 
that the talent. No, it's it's more often than not because of the environment that they come into the league in, and and just the the not getting exposed to those things and those experiences that help them kind of learn how to apply that that ability and those talents. Well, you mentioned Larry Bird, and I think back on that, and Larry got some help thanks to some deals where Red basically stole Kevin McGale and Robert Parrish and stole Dennis Johnson from the Suns for Rick Roby. So there's a little luck involved there. It's not just about going out and drafting a great player. While we're talking about the draft, let's go back to the previous draft and Kelly Olenek. I know he looks awkward out there at times, but that kid has got an amazing skill set. He put it on display last night. He actually made a very athletic move to the hoop with a dunk. He also had an incredible pass. And Tommy went off, Tommy Heinsohn, during the game about how he, may, he might be the best passer on the team, which Mike Gorman's like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, Tommy really with high praise for Kelly Olenek. Yeah, I think you know any statement about him being the best passer on the team among his run team is probably a bit misguided. But you know he might be there right after him, and that's you know I I, I like the thought of a Jared Sullinger Kelly Olynyk pairing kind of down the road because they're both excellent passers for for, for big men, and you know I, I think. Uh, Linux issue, I think, is uh, you know less athleticism than it is just confidence. I think when he's out there playing with confidence, um, you know, he just looks natural, looks fluid. Um, you know, he's never going to be an explosive athlete, but you know, I think there's a fluidity to his game when he's playing with a lot of confidence that we saw last night. He's a lot of fun to watch at times, and of course, I've probably seen him more than anybody because I live out here on the West Coast and I got to see him at play at Gonzaga quite a bit. He's got better range than he's showing, too, and he's just scared to shoot the ball, it looks like, at times. Yeah, you know, I, I think any young player, again, similar to what we talked about with Green, um, you know, the tendency is when you get into situations where you're out of your comfort zone, you start thinking too much. And, you know, with thinking comes that, that hesitation and that, that lack of fluidity. And, and you know, you, you make a couple of mistakes and the confidence starts to, to, to wane. Let's talk about another guy. Chris Johnson signs a contract for the remainder of the season, and it looks like he gets a multi-year deal, although it's not guaranteed. He's my new favorite Celtic, I've got to be honest, Rich. I love watching him play. Oh yeah, I love his attitude. I love his hustle, uh, his his grit. He you know doesn't seem to back down from anybody out there on the court. He's got a great stroke from three, particularly from the corner. You know, I wonder if over time he can evolve into that kind of three and D uh, wing type player that has you know kind of taken on a lot of importance in the league. When you look at guys like Danny Green out in San Antonio, and you know it's it's funny how many of those guys kind of get plucked off the scrap heap. You know, I mentioned Danny. Green, uh, Bowen, who had a great career, the Spurs can in that role, maybe kind of pioneered that role uh, as far as uh, anybody, um, you know, may have, um, you know, was another guy kind of, uh, you know, wasn't highly drafted, wasn't, you know, kicked around the league for a bit before he found that niche. And so, you know, maybe the Celtics have found their, their Bruce Bowen, their, their Danny Green and, and Chris Johnson. And, um, you know, I, I know Brad Stevens seems to really uh, like what he can bring to the court. I, I think he was, you know, being a bit cagey earlier in the week when the questions about, you uh, you know, Green uh, Johnson sticking with the team throughout the year came up because I think there was a little bit of uncertainty around roster spots and the financial situation. But you know, that multi-year contract, granted, I, I don't believe it's fully guaranteed, but it seems like a nice kind of vote of confidence shot in the arm for for Johnson. And you know, honestly, I'd like to see what he can do through the, the rest of the year, particularly if they can unload, you know, a guy like Gerald Wallace to free up some minutes for him. And let's give some credit to Gerald Wallace. He played his butt off last night, nearly had a triple-double, and he's been playing better and better. He's not my favorite Celtic. He's overpaid, as we all know. But I think in recent games, he has given the effort on the court. Yeah, you know, he's got, still got that curious thing where – he seems extremely reluctant to shoot, and you know, part of me wants to give him some credit and say, you know, he's trying to be the good veteran and and kind of be the glue guy for this this young team. Um, I also wonder though if you know, just after the past couple of seasons and his uh, declining offensive performance, you know, he's uh, you know that's playing a big part of that that reluctance. But you know, I, I you know I think a, too much was made about some of the comments that 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 he's made at various points in the in the uh, season about the team. 
teams, lack of effort um, and, and lack of willingness to compete. Uh, I do think he's trying to be a positive influence ultimately on the team. And, you know, I think you know, when he's gotten the opportunity like he did last night, kind of um, almost by uh, necessity play more with the ball in his hands, I think that really gets him more involved and feels like he's he's uh, part of the game out, out there. When he's just kind of floating around the perimeter off the ball, I think that's probably the weakest part of his game. What do you think of the job that Stevens has done with the team, considering they lost, what, 19 to 22 games? And some of those games were heart-wrenching, some were blowouts, and yet they've stuck together, and he's been able to put these patchwork lineups together and find a little success. I think that says a lot about his ability to coach, and he's learning too. Yeah, this is a you know very difficult season to kind of use as a gauge for for you know what type of job a, a coach, particularly a first year coach, is doing. But the, the the one thing that I think is most important, and and I would give him pretty high marks on, is as you mentioned, his ability to kind of keep the team together. You know, there've been some some. You know, moments here and there where it seemed like there was a little bit of friction in the locker room and 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 on the practice court. Uh, but for the most part, the guys seem to be kind of sticking together, not kind of going off and playing for their own individual agendas, which you know is honestly the the, the single biggest risk with you know, a loose transitional season is. is uh, program and decide, you know, they're going to kind of get theirs. And, and I haven't really seen that too much. And so just kind of on the basis of, of that alone and, and that being the most critical thing coming into the season, you know, I'd say he's doing a good job. I still think he has a lot to learn in terms of NBA offense and defense, sure. institution patterns. But listen, he's a bright guy. He's, he'll figure that stuff out. All right, Rich, we've got our guest, Tom Ziller from SB Nation on the line. Let's bring him in, talk Celtics, talk Kings. Tom, thanks for joining the Celtics beat today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so you're a columnist for SB Nation. You write The Hook. You're the founder and editor of the Sacktown. Is it the Sacktown Rally? Is that right? Sacktown Royalty. I'm sorry. I can't even read my own writing. I apologize for that, Tom. <laughs> so tell me about the Kings. I live out here in the Pacific Northwest. We all thought the Kings were moving to Seattle. It didn't happen. What has the Kings staying in Sacramento done for the atmosphere for that team? Just having new ownership, you know, Vivek Ramadive bought the team in May after the NBA Board of Governors voted down relocation. Um, just having that whole weight lifted off everyone's shoulders has been amazing. Uh, the team is still pretty bad, but attendance is up right around 25% this year, um, which sort of proves the point that everyone was making in the past with that folks weren't coming out because the Maloofs were, you know, pulling a whole major league on the team. And um, so, yeah, the atmosphere has been great. Um, the, the team's still not great, but uh, they've played pretty well at home most of the time. Uh, they play an exciting brand of basketball under Michael Malone, where they get up and down and transition as much as possible. DeMarcus Cousins has been playing out of this world. And so I think fans are definitely excited, definitely relieved more than anything. Tom, talk about the new ownership, and I can't even begin to pronounce his name. I've had a trouble with it all morning. That's why I haven't brought him up. But I just saw a piece on HBO, on Real Sports, that they did on him. He seems like such a positive influence for that organization just by having him in place. And he's got a basketball mind, too, I understand. Yeah, he's he's fairly new to the sport. And I think he picked it up you know, 10, 15 years ago when his daughter was actually playing youth basketball, and he sort of uh, – got volunteered to be the coach. He had never played basketball or anything. You know, he grew up playing cricket in, in India, in Mumbai, and um, learned the game, found some some inefficiencies in the game. And so uh, as the Real Sports segment got into it, Malcolm Gladwell has written in the past, uh, Vivek, you know, coached them to play full-court press at like 11 years old. And so uh, a lot of the ball handlers couldn't handle the full-court press. So even though he had a, a less athletic, uh, less, experienced team he was able to take them to the to the finals uh, i believe it was either the state or national finals um just you know playing hard full court defense 48 or 40 minutes um 36 minutes whatever they played and so um he definitely i mean that's sort of his business background too is finding efficiencies and exploiting them uh he's behind a lot of the real-time data on wall street his company tipco um in the 80s you know really got a lot of that started and so He's brilliant. I think everyone in Sacramento has a lot of faith in him. Uh, he comes from the Warriors where he was a, a minority owner 
And I think he's certainly taken a lot from that experience in terms of having a front office heavy on experts, but not necessarily heavy on, on sort of a hierarchical structure. Um, you've seen that with, you know, him hiring a coach before a GM and then, uh, hiring, you know, some advisors for that GM in terms of hiring Chris Mullen. Uh, there's not a whole lot of, you know, straight up and down structure as you'd see in a more traditional situation. Uh, he just wants the smartest guys in the room to talk and, and make decisions. We're talking with Tom Ziller, columnist for SB Nation. His column is The Hook, and he is the editor and founder of Sacktown Royalty. Did you think the Kings were going to be in Sacramento this year, Tom? What did your gut tell you at this time last year? This time last year, no, because um, everything had just sort of come out. Um, the city of Sacramento was still sort of getting getting things in order. We weren't sure if there was going to be a legit bid from Sacramento at the price that um, Chris Hansen was willing to pay. So I, I think it was not until sort of mid to late February. Uh, Kevin Johnson had a State of the City address on the Memorial Auditorium here in Sacramento, the packed house, and uh, announced Ron Burkle as the, the lead uh, bidder for the team. And I think we started believing at that point that they could get it done. Um, Burkle sort of stepped aside for Vivek later on because of some conflict of interest. But um, definitely in January it looked extremely bleak. Early February, it looked pretty bleak, and then things started to turn around late February, and then they really started to turn around in April when, when it was clear that the league wasn't entirely comfortable with abandoning Sacramento. People are devastated here, i got to tell you, Tom. Up here in the Pacific Northwest, we're just dying for another franchise since the Sonics left because there's such that great, rich history and tradition. I will say this, because of what happened with Oklahoma City, even though basketball fans in the Northwest were hoping the Kings were going to come here, they didn't like the way it was going to be done because they know how that feels to have a franchise ripped away from them. So the city of Seattle will, will be willing to sit and wait, but I, unfortunately I think they're going to be waiting for a long time. Now let's talk about play on the court. DeMarcus Cousins, I had to laugh last night when Isaiah Thomas and Jared Bayless kind of got in a mini skirmish and there was DeMarcus Cousins playing Peacemaker. I was saying to myself, wow, how times have changed. Yeah, he's a he's a fun guy. You know, he really he, he's been the leader of this team um when when the new ownership and management came in, uh they made him the focus of the team. They gave him that huge contract and uh kind of put it on on him to, to take this team to higher places and he really takes that seriously. I think he's a very earnest guy. Um he's had, you know, troubles with authority over the years certainly, but you know, I think if you put that responsibility on him, he's going to take it seriously, and he has. He's still gotten into his, his share of uh, spats on the court. Uh, I tweeted last night that he really does lead by example because now everyone on the Kings has beef with someone in the league. They've sort of mm-hmm. taken that example from him. Um, and so, yeah, you have guys like Isaiah who's not known to be nasty to other players getting, getting into it with Jared Bayless, and after the game he called him a fake tough guy. And so... Uh, when the Celtics come to Sacramento in a couple weeks, that'll be fun to see how that resolves. Um, DeMarcus earlier this week got into beef with, with Mike Dunleavy, of all people. They've had a couple of years of, <laughs> of fight. Um, and, of course, everyone has seen the video of DeMarcus Cousins refusing to allow Isaiah Thomas to shake hands with Chris Paul after a Kings-Clippers game because uh, DeMarcus hates the Clippers so much. So, uh, it's you know, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's a losing team. Um, you got to have something to sort of laugh at or, or roll your eyes at at the end of the day, and DeMarcus provides that as the leader of the of the teams of the league's best you know beef team. That's great, Tom. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned the run in that DeMarcus had with with Mike Dunleavy. Is is Cousins kind of getting into that point in in his career, given his his background and some of the baggage, where it's become more about the reputation and 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 guys kind of are out there trying to goad him or pick at him and get him into those situations rather than kind of as in early in his career, him just kind of getting into the uh, the hot water all by himself. Oh, absolutely. People, this is the strategy against the Kings, and it hasn't worked out this year because he has stayed calm. I don't think he's gotten booted out of any games that I can remember this year, whereas, you know, he was getting booted out of games left and right early in his career. <laughs> um, and so I, I think he's He's, you know, turning that against teams, and eventually they'll stop doing it because it's not paying off at this point. Um, the Dunleavy thing is a perfect example. He he was trying to, you know, rough up Cousins and get Cousins to react, and eventually 
it was really the Bulls that melted down because, you know, Joe Kim Noah wasn't getting called and then he freaked out and, and had his, uh, uh, his insane exit from the court. Um, and Dunleavy was sort of a similar situation. Dunleavy was the one that was getting most flustered because he wasn't getting anything out of Cousins, um, other than a couple of love taps. So yeah, that's definitely been the book on, on, on getting Cousins out of the game. It just doesn't work this year. What was what was your uh, impression of the matchup between Jared Sullinger and Cousins last night? They uh, they both kind of went toe to toe. Yeah, and they ended up with you know pretty pretty similar lines, thirty one and sixteen. You know, after the game, Cousins you know took the took it on the chin and said it was my fault for Sullinger going off. Um, he he felt that Sullinger got too many rebounds that the Kings should have got, even though Cuz had sixteen. Uh, he felt he should have had more that he was kind of leaving position to to go after the offensive rebound and not getting back. And uh, Sullinger, you know, has these nights where he just looks amazing. And then then you sort of remember, you know, his size and his pedigree and that um, he's had an injury history. And so you don't want to get too excited, but then he has a night like that. and It just blows you away. It reminds me a little of, of DeJuan Blair early in, in his career. And he's bounced around now. He's, I think he's in uh, Dallas. But um, similar, and hopefully, you know, Sullinger can, can do it for longer and, and really thrive. DeMarcus Cousins gets snubbed for the All-Star game. That's been bothering him, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and he doesn't. So a lot of the guys that get snubbed, they'll say, oh, it doesn't bother me. Like Kyle Lowry gets snubbed, and he's like, well, I'll just go to the beach somewhere. Cousins <laughs> is making it pretty clear that, that he's mad. That, that you know, And he even admitted yesterday that he's been distracted, um, and he was distracted before yesterday's game. And no one, he didn't clear up what exactly that was, but everyone assumed that he was distracted because Anthony Davis got picked over him to replace Kobe in the All-Star game. I think he definitely takes it personally. When um, when the first ballot or the first results came out from fan voting, and he was 12th in the Western Conference front court voting, um, he tweeted and made some comments. that was like, "What what is going on? Why aren't I getting more votes? This is an outrage." And so he's the rare guy who, like, totally admits that this matters a lot to him and he wants that recognition. It doesn't look like he's going to get it this year because I don't think um, there's going to be another injury replacement. And if there is, it'll be uh, Chris Paul who, um, at that point, I think you got to add a guard to, to plug that leak. So um, it'll probably be Goran Dragic, I think. Hey, Tom, let's talk about Isaiah Thomas. You mentioned him earlier. He's from my hometown at Tacoma, Washington. I liked his game last night against the Celtics. I think he's averaging, what, 20 points a game. Has he improved that much since last year? Yeah, he's a much better offensive player, I think, especially sharing the ball. That was sort of the knock on Isaiah the last couple of years is that um, while he's a good scorer, he's not much of a ball share. I think he's put that to rest this year and, and done a good job setting up Cousins on the pick and roll and, and also you know, spreading the ball out on the perimeter. His problem is really defense, and you didn't see as much of that last night, but you've seen in, in recent weeks especially. Um, he just gives up so many points to the opposing point guard. You can't switch him off to a two-guard because he's 5'9". Even though he plays with the, the heart of a lion, he, he just can't uh, get up and challenge shots the way that the bigger guards can. Hey, Tom, Ty and I were talking at the beginning of the show. Out, uh, you know, teams with a you know good collection of young talent, and and the Kings now sort of kind of fit that bill. Um, you know, kind of what's your assessment kind of being on the inside there? Are they kind of got the pieces they need, and it's just a matter of of getting some experience, putting it together, or you know, do you kind of anticipate some more uh, change a little bit down the road? Oh, yeah, there's going to be a lot more change. Uh, but Pete Alessandro, the GM of the, the Kings, has said is that he has a collection of players now. He doesn't have a team yet, and. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's some changes to come. I, I don't think Marcus Thornton is going to be here long. Um, Jason Thompson's a guy that uh, is a you know, pretty good player for what he is and for his salary, but just doesn't really fit great next to Cousins. When you have Cousins up front and Isaiah Thomas at point guard, you really need a, that second big needs to be a really sharp defender. And Thompson is, is good at times, but uh, not really the, the type of defender you need for that lineup. It'll so, be interesting to have this with Rudy Gay. He can become a free agent in this offseason if he walks away from $19 million. Um, and sort of the hubbub is that the Kings will look to, to find him long-term at a much cheaper rate um, to keep him in the fold. But it'll be interesting to see if that happens. I was going to ask you about that, Tom. What was with the Rudy Gay acquisition? What do they see in him? I think what they saw in him is what he has provided since he's been with the Kings. 
um, that he was way overextended in Toronto um, as the entire focal point of that offense. He was taking way too many shots, creating way too many shots for himself, and that if you put him in a system where he can play off of a post-threat like DeMarcus Cousins and a, and a high-volume point guard like uh, Isaiah Thomas, that he can thrive and be efficient. That's exactly what he's done in Sacramento. Uh, he's, you know, has a true shooting percentage of over 60%, still averaging 20 points a game. He's doing it on just, you know, far fewer shots. And so I, I think they like, you know, when you look at the small forwards that the Kings have had over the past few years, Rudy Gay stands out as by far the most talented. Um, upgrading from John Salmons to, to Rudy Gay is just phenomenal. And I, I think he's, he's done a great job. I, there are fans in Sacramento, me being one of them, that are uh, frighteningly waiting for the other shoe to drop and for him to start missing shots or taking more bad shots. Um, thankfully, it hasn't happened yet, and hopefully it won't. But um, there is still some concern. He's played, I think, better than anyone could have expected. But um, at the same time, he's providing exactly what I think the front office wanted. Tom, Rich and I were talking about Kelly Olenek for the Celtics, just trying to find his way in his rookie year. What about Ben McLemore? He was the seventh pick in the draft, and I was watching him last night. Is, is he still? He's no not. He's just not fitting in right now, is he? Yeah, I think it's less a matter of fitting in than he's still figuring out the NBA game and you know the speed of the game. Sometimes he plays a little slower than the, than the game around him. Sometimes he plays a little too fast. I think he's figuring out you know exactly uh, how things work and how to play efficiently offense, on offense. Finding his range, you know, he's a great shooter in college. He's still trying to, you know, become a decent shooter at the uh, pro level. And so I think once that comes together, once he sort of calms down and understands the game a little better, uh, he'll be able to fit on on any team really because, you know, what he is is a a low-usage shooter um, who's extremely athletic and willing to share the ball. So um, I I think, you know, everyone in Sacramento is having a lot of patience with him right now. the comparison I keep bringing up is Bradley Beal, who looked pretty awful as a rookie and then blossomed this year. And uh, hopefully uh, Ben follows a similar similar path. Tom, I'll only keep you a minute or two more. Looking at all the teams in the league that are rebuilding, like the Lakers and the Celtics, for instance, the Sixers, the Jazz come to mind. Where do the Kings fit in? How quickly can they become a contender? You know, becoming a contender is so hard because you have to nail so many things. I think they'll, they'll definitely look to be in the playoff race next year, depending on on how this summer goes. Um, they, they're going to get a you know a pretty good lottery pick, definitely in the top ten, um, because they are so bad and they're in a, such a tough conference. Um, and hopefully, you know, some improvement from Macklemore, and we'll see what happens with Gay. Isaiah Thomas is a free agent, so hopefully, they either keep him or upgrade at that position. And um, they have some you know some pieces to make some trades as well. Uh, I, I think they want to, to start, you know, racking up some wins next year. Uh, they definitely want to be a playoff contender by the time that new arena opens in 2016. And so um, I think the, the timeline to compete is shorter um, than it would be for, for some of the other rebuilding teams who may have a little bit more time. Not necessarily the Celtics or the Lakers who have such storied histories and their fans are used to them being awesome. But certainly um, Danny Ainge and Mitch Kupchak want to be good sooner than later, but uh, I think there's a little less patience in Sacramento just based on the arena timeline and and how long we've been bad. Tom Ziller from SB Nation, founder and editor of Sacktown Royalty, columnist for The Hook. Uh, We appreciate you being on Celtics Beat today. Your Twitter handle is at, was it at Team Ziller, is that right? That's right, yep. And anything you're working on right now you want to promote, my friend? Yeah, we have our new daily newsletter over at SB Nation. It's called uh, Good Morning, It's Basketball. And so if uh, you head over to to sbnation.com slash NBA, you can sign up. Um, Basically, you know, it's links to all the good stuff and all the news every morning uh, during the week, straight from me. Very good. Tom Ziller, thanks for joining us on Celtics Beat. Much appreciated. Yeah, thanks. Take care. Take care. Rich, a lot of positive things going on with the Kings, it sounds like. Even though I was looking at their winning percentage, comparing it this year to last, it's exactly the same, or roughly the same. Yeah, and, you know, his take on uh, Cousins was very interesting. You know, kind of uh, 
on the one hand, you know, allowing that he, you know, still has some of those same uh, knucklehead tendencies, but at the same time, you know, that his value on the court and, and the position that the ownership and the, and the coaching staff has put him in as leader has, um, you know, he's he's kind of coming through on that that challenge to some degree. And, you know, I would I agree with that assessment. You know, I think, uh, you know, folks like to, uh, you know, get a get a chuckle uh, at at his expense at times for some of the antics on the court, but you know he he's you can't really equate him with a guy like JaVale McGee where you know it's it's there's really nothing uh, no substance kind of beyond that humor and beyond the knuckleheaded play you know Cousins is a serious player and I think he showed that last night uh, you know with his big game against the Celtics he's a dominating player and that's what made Sully's performance last night I thought so damn impressive to go toe to toe I mean it wasn't Ollie Frazier <laughs> but it was it was quite a battle between those two and Sully was giving up so much size and you can say what you want about Cousins he's such a talented player it's so nice to see a big who actually has a little stroke from the free throw line <laughs> who is so mobile I mean I'm watching him dri- dribble out of backcourt last night just very impressive all the way around if he could just get the mental part of his game down he's going to make big big money someday yeah, you know, I think the, the the bigger issue at this stage for for him, uh, you know, I, like I said, I think his the knuckleheaded play is as much a uh, case right now of of guys knowing that you know, hey, maybe if I go this guy a bit, I can you know kind of get him off his game and get him distracted. Um, I think the bigger issue for him right now is just getting to the point where he understands the importance of kind of consistent effort out there on the court uh, because he has all the skills in the world. I mean, just his his skill level for a guy that size is just truly remarkable remarkable to me. You know, his shooting touch, as you mentioned, his ability to even put the ball on the floor a little bit, uh, and, his, and he's a great passer. You know, I think he just needs to work at it a little bit harder and just kind of put that consistent effort out on a game-by-game basis. And, you know, it's 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 hard not to see him at some point growing into a, a top 15, top 10 player in the league. If you can get some real real talent around him, watch out. I thought it was interesting when Tom brought up Rudy Gay. I remember when that deal was made, Rich. I kind of once again, just kind of scratched my head. Why would anybody want Rudy Gay? Because I know that he's been mentioned in trade talks with the Celtics over the years, and I didn't want any part of that. But listening to Tom, they're quite excited about having Rudy Gay on the team as a compliment to DeMarcus Cousins. Yeah, listening to Tom Tom talk, it was almost like he was uh, afraid he was going to jinx it by talking about it too much, <laughs> you know, waiting for the other shoe to drop. And, you know, I think there is some truth, though, to the statement that, you know, too much was expected of him in uh, Toronto and, and even before that in, in Memphis where, you know, he was kind of expected to be the face of those franchises and really the, the, the focal point of the entire offense where, you know, in, in Sacramento things are maybe a little bit more balanced. But, you know, on the flip side, it's hard to ignore the way the Raptors have played since dealing away uh, Rudy Gay uh, and and kind of the turnaround they have had. So it'll be interesting to see if if you know particularly you know with that um, you know with a, a new contract uh, hanging over his head at some point whether he kind of you know revert to that high volume scorer type player rather than just kind of a more kind of go with the flow um, you know kind of you know be some steady offense but play off of that that big post presence player he's been uh, since he's he arrived in Sacramento. It's kind of funny to hear somebody talking about how they're worried that Rudy Rudy Gay will be traded from their team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very amusing. As far as the rest of the talent on that team is concerned, it sounded like they've just got a collection of pieces, and they're not quite a team. So that kind of answered our question you and I were talking about a little bit off the air. There's talent there, but it's really not a team. Yeah, and you know that in some cases, you know that's a stage in the rebuilding process. I mean, Celtics fans should remember that pretty well. Uh, you know, prior to the trades that brought uh, Ray Allen and then later Kevin Garnett to the Celtics, you know, thinking about the two or three years leading up to that, sure, there was the the terrible 2006-2007 season where you know, seemingly everything that could go wrong went wrong. They lost 18 straight games. But if you kind of plot the course of Danny Ainge's rebuilding effort leading up to that point, um, he was basically collecting talent wherever he yes. could. To kind of exchange and kind of you know kind of ride that ladder upwards, uh, kind of almost like a property ladder situation, going from a you know a Jerry Welsh to a Ricky Davis to a, a Wally Zerbiak, and, <laughs> and really just trying to you know add talent wherever we could without even really much 
thought to how it, it fit. And, you know, in many ways, that's where the Celtics are right now, too. Um, and so that's a, you know, a viable point in, you know, the, the, the rebuilding of a franchise is just recognizing that you've got to kind of continue to accrue talent and assets uh, and wait for those opportunities to present themselves to create a team that, that really is structured in a way that's going to be conducive to winning. Do you see the Celtics standing pat at the trade deadline? You know, nothing would surprise me. I think yeah. you know, a, lot, a lot of folks are expecting a, um, a, a real flurry of activity at this uh, deadline really across the league. Um, you know, but in my experience, you know, looking at, at the trade deadline, you know, it's one of those situations where, you know, teams can play brinkmanship up to the last moment where it becomes too late to do anything. And it's usually it takes that one or two kind of semi-major deals to kind of, you know, break the ice and get things kind of moving. And, and I think if that happens early enough, like say a day or two before the deadline, I could see there being a really active deadline. And I think the more activity there is in general, the more likely I think it is that, that the Celtics make a move. Uh, on the flip side, I don't think Danny Ainge in the position of trying to make a move just to make a move. I think he's in a position where he holds a lot of cards. And so I think he's kind of, you know, waiting to kind of work from the position of strength. The challenge of that is it usually takes other teams to, to, you know, to feel compelled to make a move before you can kind of uh, take advantage of that. I'm hoping just in my gut that they make a move to bring in a piece that could help for the playoff run this year. I know I sound ridiculous when I say that, not to just for the playoff run this year, but to strengthen them, obviously, in years to come. But I think it would be really great if somehow they could, they could make a run and acquire a real quality piece at the trade deadline just to shut a lot of people up. That's just my personal feelings coming out. I'd like to see that done. But they've got a lot of assets. There's no question about that. And going back to the 2006-2007 team, Rich, I think a lot of people forget that it was that acquisition of talent that led to the Garnett deal. And people forget that. It just didn't happen magically. It came with acquiring the assets in order to make the Ray Allen and the Kevin Garnett deal happen. Yeah, and that's why I think the Celtics are in a good position right now. Clearly, they have many more assets than they did kind of when they, you know, even before, you know, they they were kind of at the tail end of the process last time, you know, right, you know, leading up to the deals uh, that that brought Allen and Garnett to Boston. They're really well positioned this time. It's just a matter of what opportunities present themselves. Okay, Rich, it's that time. Let's go to the NBA in five. <laughs> Okay, Rich, first question. LeBron James rumors already starting. Is he going to go to the Clippers? I, you know, nothing would surprise me. Obviously, LA's got a, a you know, holds a, a high degree of allure for a lot of players. You know, the bright lights, the big city, all the media scrutiny that comes with it. And, you know, it, it nothing would shock me. But, um, you know, I, I, I think there's no way the Clippers can sign him outright. You know, there, there needs to be a deal somehow made. And I have a hard time seeing Miami agreeing to do a sign and trade uh, for LeBron w- with anybody. If you've got, you know, kind of the, the single biggest. Uh, chip out there, you know, why should you move it, uh, you know, unless somebody really kind of bends over backwards. So I have a hard time seeing it happen, but hey, nothing would shock me in the NBA. Cavaliers fire Chris Grant, their GM. He took over in 2010 from Danny Ferry. Was that a mistake? I, you know... It's hard to say it's a mistake when he's missed on so many draft picks. Uh, you know, he's had, you know, I believe four top four picks in the past couple of years and really only one player to, to show for it in Irving. Um, you know, you can argue that the opportunities really to add a big piece weren't there. But, you know, if for nothing else, I think, you know, he deserved a, a, a significant share of the blame for bringing Mike Brown back. I don't understand, you know, how you bring that guy back into that situation, given his track record, and expect to be successful. And you have to wonder if Kyrie Irving will stick around. He's having a great year with 21 points a game. Will he stick around, in your opinion? I, you know, unless you know they they're successful in bringing um LeBron James back to the the Cavaliers. Uh you know, I think Irving's going to look to you know exit uh, at the first opportunity he gets and may even try to put a little bit of pressure on the Cavaliers to kind of hasten his exit before he's even eligible for free agency. The David Stern era ended. He's no longer commissioner. Andrew Silver takes over. I know my personal feelings. I popped the champagne when David Stern left. I hate the guy. 
but at the same time, I understand what he did for the league. What can we expect from Silver? I, you know, it's hard to say. You know, a lot of the inside reports are that, um, contrary to popular opinion, he's, you know, not uh, David Stern's puppet and is his own man, and he's going to look to kind of leave his imprint on his league, uh, on, on the league going forward. Uh, it remains to be seen what he can really do. It's hard to argue with the success that uh, Stern cultivated during his era, and so I think. Uh, you know, any type of change would would probably be a little bit conservative on the side, just because you know why risk uh, what's what's clearly a successful thing. My problem with David Stern, quite frankly, Rich, is he reminds me of Putin. He never met a camera he didn't like or a microphone he didn't like. It was all about him, and that was the problem I had. Oftentimes, I thought he put himself ahead of the league, and he did some things. PR-wise that I just thought were ridiculous, like some comments he made on the Jim Rome show. I hate what he did to the city of Seattle, and that's why I'm glad he's gone. He also got lucky in the fact that he had Bird, Jordan, Magic Johnson to help the NBA get back on its feet. Okay, Andrew Andrew Bynum on the Pacers has his first workout. I still don't know what the Pacers are thinking here. Uh, you know, one of the ideas I've seen floated is that the, the primary incentive in acquiring him was to keep him away from the Heat. Uh, you know, I kind of wonder about that, given that, uh, you know, I'm not sure that the Heat could find a place for both Greg Ode and, and Andrew Bynum. But speaking about that, how, how great would that be uh, in, the, in the Eastern Conference Finals clash of the gimps between Greg Ode and Andrew Bynum? <laughs> that would be fun to watch. Now, last night, the Raptors fouled DeAndre Jordan. Six, they fouled him over and over again repeatedly in the fourth quarter. Jordan had 16 free throws in the fourth quarter. Should the hack-a-shack be tossed out of basketball? You know, hack doesn't have quite the same ring as hack-a-shack. I think it was uh, Greg Popovich earlier in the week, you know, basically just kind of said, hey, as much as I hate it, this is part of the game now, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a legitimate strategy. And honestly, you know, there's a fix for it. Um, Get those guys to the point where they can hit 75% of their free throws, and you, you won't see teams doing that anymore. It won't happen, right. I had an idea, though. I thought maybe you could give up three free throws for an intentional foul. What do you think of that idea? Yeah, you know, uh, I think that's potentially a good idea, but the thing I would worry about is slowing the game down even further. You know, I look at the situation right now um, with what's become of the clear path foul yeah. and instant replay, and I cringe every time one of those whistles uh, whistle is blown on clear path foul just because you know you're you're about to be subjected uh, to two minutes of a referee kind of looking at a monitor. And, you know, so many of these plays are just so much easier to just kind of judge in real time make a call, move on. If you're going to implement something like that, that's the way I would do it. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I came up with the idea of the additional free throw as a deterrent, but at the same time, you said it perfectly. Hit your free throws. How hard can it be? Just because you're tall, just because you're a bigger player doesn't mean you can't shoot free throws, and it's something you can work on. I think guys like Dwight Howard, they just don't spend the time working on that skill. Absolutely. It's repetition, repetition, repetition. You know, you you hear the excuse of, oh, well, the big men, their hands are too big. They can't get the right feel of the, uh, on the ball. There have been plenty of big men who have been excellent free throw shooters. There's nothing inherently mechanical that those guys can't hit their free throws. It's a matter of practice and it's a matter of mental preparation. And, and like you said, so many guys just aren't willing to do that. Before we go, I wanted to bring up Courtney Lee because I liked Courtney Lee when he was on the Celtics, and he's played impressively for the Grizzlies, who've really hit their stride since he came over from the Celtics. Courtney averaging 14 points a game. I think he's shooting 50% from deep. Yeah, you know, that that was a guy. It's a shame it didn't work out for, for him here in Boston. I think a lot of folks had really high hopes when he came to the Celtics at uh, the beginning of last uh, season and just kind of never found his way. And honestly, I think this might have just been a case of a guy caring too much. I think he was, you know, his relationship with Doc Rivers, I think really created a lot of um, uh, excitement and enthusiasm in coming to the Celtics, and he really wanted to succeed. And, you know, sometimes when a guy wants to succeed too much, that can become an impediment. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat provided by Carlos Andres Mesa, Astrovex, and Steph Legrotto. I think that's how you pronounce his name, or Legratu. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce it. We'll have to figure that one out, Rich. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat. And you can get Like Celtics Beat on Chillinous Radio on Facebook to keep up on the show. I'd like to thank our guest Tom Ziller from SB Nation, columnist there. He is the editor and founder of Sacktown Royalty. Also, the column is The Hook. And you can follow Tom at 
at Team Ziller on Twitter. That's at Team Ziller on Twitter. And for our executive producer, Larry H. Russell, my co-host, Rich Conti, I'm Ty Ray. We will see you next Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern, on the Celtics Beat.